All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. You guys doing good today? Everybody doing good? Are we doing good? <clears throat> All right, are we still loving Jesus? That's what matters. That's what matters. Hey, look, if you're new with us today, um, or you feel new, or you haven't been back for a while, or you're watching online, my name's Jeff. I get the unique privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at New Life. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at all of our campuses, including those who are with me right now at the Kearney campus. Uh, we've been going through a series in the book of James. So if you've got your Bible with you, whether that's the analog version, the written version, or it's one of your digital versions, um, I just want to encourage you to break it out. Go to James chapter 5 and scroll down to verse 14. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, we're going to wrap up our series in the book of James chapter 5. We've been going through 1, 2, 3, and 4. We spent two weeks in the, book of, in, in the first chapter. And then last week we had, um, we had our... our Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Bob Wine, who came and delivered uh, God's Word out of uh, James chapter 4 last week. And I was super thankful that uh, he was willing to do that. And it was, what a blessing it is for our church to keep honoring those who have gone before us and that we keep building the ministry on their shoulders. And so, man, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to have uh, Bob and Connie still here at New Life and uh, engaging in ministry, changing our lives. Uh, today, as I said, we're in James chapter 5. I want you to go with me to uh, verse 14. I I'm just going to take my, my Bible, and I'm going to read it with you, and then we're going to uh, break it down. So let's just jump in. So in verse 14, uh, James starts to say these words. He goes, are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered <clears throat> in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And, and if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Then he goes on in verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Then he gives an example of that. He goes, Elijah, Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. And then almost as a, like a, a P.S. on a long letter uh, that's been written, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can, sh you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Right on. So here we have, we have God's Word in front of us, and I just want to break it down. I want to break it down for you. And, and I, the thought that keeps coming back to me is, um, is that, you know, in the New Testament, or in our whole Bible these days, uh, for, you know, many, many, obviously, uh, decades, we've had a Bible that's been broken down by chapter and verse. And, and sometimes, because it's broken down by chapter and verse, we, we kind of get this sense that maybe each chapter is its own letter, or, you know, that there is a particular uh, you know, emphasis on a particular thing because there's a verse break or something of this nature. And you, you do understand, though, that although that, that chapters and verses have broken down the Bible uh, to make things more simple, but it also is broken down so that we could have a, a quicker reference 
to find each other in Scripture and that we could actually study God's Word together more effectively. And when it takes this large book called the Bible, breaks it down to chapter and verse, it helps us. All right, but, but you really have to think of this from the, the origin of the book of James. James was a letter that was written to the body, written to all believers at that time, but it was a letter, and that's the way it would have been read, as a letter. And so when you think about a letter and you're, you're thinking about a letter like James, which is so chock full of practical application, when you get to the end of that letter, you're either summarizing something or you're adding on your PS, or you're kind of adding on your exclamation mark. I see James here adding on an exclamation mark. Have you ever heard the statement, go the extra mile? Who's heard the statement, go the extra mile? Come on, let me hear it. All right. Of course, all of you have. In one way or another, there's been moments for you in your life where you've been with a customer service people or a waitress or a teacher who has gone the extra mile to serve you or your family. You may have found yourself saying things like, I was super impressed with the way that customer service agent, you know, went the extra mile to solve my problem. Or I love the fact that that teacher went the extra mile, right, to help my kid learn. Or I really love going to this particular restaurant because the entire staff go the extra mile to make you happy. Now, whenever you're in a moment like that and you've got someone that's gone the extra mile, it really reminds you of what good customer service is really all about. And in our day and age, it seems like there's not a lot of people going the extra mile. And I want you to be people that go the extra mile. Right? It's not just something we want others to do. If you want others to go the extra mile, guess what maybe we should be doing? Maybe we are the ones that set the tone. We are the ones that go the extra mile. I want you to be known as people who go the extra mile uh, in your work ethic. I want you to be known as people who go the extra mile in your service I want you to be people that go the extra mile and known for this as people who love God and you love others. I want you to be known as people that go the extra mile. Why? Because that statement really comes from Jesus. Did you realize Jesus is the one who is the one who established the statement, go the extra mile? In Matthew chapter 5, and look, this is all kind of getting back to James chapter 5. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, what does he say? Carry it for two. Carry it for two. Go the extra mile. Why? Well, there was this Roman law at the time that if you were 12 years old or older, a Roman soldier could come up to you, grab you, and demand that you carry their gear for one mile. 12 years old or older. It's a bit demoralizing. It could be a bit humiliating that here you are in this occupied country with these Roman soldiers and Jesus says, look, if you're asked to do this, I don't want you to begrudgingly do it. I don't want you to hold your head down low. I don't want you to like complain the entire time that you carry this for the mile that you're obligated to do it. I want you to, with joy in your heart, find a way to go above and beyond and I want you to carry it for two. And guys, this same principle applies to your spiritual journey today. You can do the bare minimum in your spiritual journey and squeak into heaven with the fires of hell burning the backside of your clothes. Or you can do the average. Or you can go the extra mile. I believe that the book of James was this instructional manual given to the church and given to all believers, us here today, 
so that we could figure out how to live our lives according to the teachings of Jesus. But here at the very end, James, I believe, is clearly telling us there is a way, though, to take your Christianity and go the extra mile. And he starts out back in James chapter 5 by driving home this point that going the extra mile can look like praying for the sick to be healed. That praying for the sick to be healed could be a part of going the extra mile. I mean, look, unfortunately, we all get sick, right? Not all of us go to the doctor when we're sick. Maybe some of us ought to have, but we don't always. It's like we want to avoid the doctor. Uh, we, We don't all take the medicine that we're supposed to take that might help us get better, quicker. And I guarantee you that we don't often ask for prayer either. So there's two thoughts that I would kind of want to really highlight here about how do you go the extra mile in praying for those who are sick. And, and first, I just want to say this, that you have to ask for prayer. Some of you, going the extra mile is just simply admitting the fact you need prayer. But on the flip side of that, there's moments when you get asked to pray for others. And we need to immediately engage and praying for them. So let's go, let's break those two things down. First, you gotta ask for prayer. And when you go back to that passage in James, you look at verse four. He says to you and to me, he gives us this instruction. Now look, I want you to go the extra mile and I want you to call on the elders of the church to come and to pray for you. It gives this implication that there is such a sickness going on for you that you can't get yourself to the church that you have to call on the elders to come over to your house. And it's like this there's really big sickness that's going on, so much so that you need somebody to come to the hospital and meet you, come to your house and meet you. You can't get yourself here. And, and I think that when you look at that kind of a passage, there, this, is what, this is what we do in modern day. We go, well, I'm not that sick. I don't need to really have anybody pray for me. And basically what you're saying is this. God, I don't really need you right now. I've got this. And, you're, and I get it, right? Some things have a course to them. The flu, it's got a course to it. It stinks, but it has a course to it. Wouldn't it be awesome if God would interrupt that course? Maybe some of you don't want that. Maybe some of you just want those days off of work. <laughs> Worshiping around the porcelain throne. Maybe that's what you want. I don't want that, Okay. And some of you, you get a cold. Others of you, you got allergies. And you just, maybe that's just what you like. You just like sneezing and your nose running all day long. I don't particularly like that. Others of you, you just like, you know, walking with the limp. You feel like it kind of makes you a little cooler than the rest, right? Maybe you just like that. I don't know. But when you don't invite God into the story, you're basically saying, God, I don't need you. That's, that's a part. And we go, it, it doesn't, it's not elevated to the right level. Like, I don't want to annoy anybody. But then when it does get elevated, when all of a sudden you find out that the limp is not just a limp, but it's being caused by some kind of cancer, now all of a sudden you're like the football team with two seconds left, and you send everybody to the, to the end zone, and you just throw the Hail Mary pass. And you're like, I need prayer. I need prayer so bad. And we kind of elevate it to this level. And I just want you to know today that you can go the extra mile and you can ask for prayer for any kind of sickness at any time. And if maybe 
it would benefit your own spiritual journey to actually humble yourself more and to ask other believers, would you please be praying for me? Trusting, see, because what you're doing in that moment, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you. It doesn't matter what the level is. It doesn't matter what the issue is. I mean, I want you to think about the ministry of Jesus. Here, let me give you one example of what happened in the ministry of Jesus when it comes to praying for the sick. Luke 4, 40 says this, that as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. Now, read the next few words with me. No matter what their disease, right, no matter what their diseases were, it didn't matter if it was little or it was big, no matter what their diseases were, and that the touch of Jesus' hand healed everyone. See, most of the time, James is going to be instructing us here that it's not always going to be this disabling sickness that you can't get yourself to other believers. Most of the time, it's going to be you're going to be in some level of sickness or there's some mysterious thing that's going on and you're around other believers and it's your opportunity to seize the moment. I just want to encourage you to go the extra mile and seize the moment and ask people to join you in prayer and start trusting God more and more. But secondly, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about going the extra mile when you're asked, would you pray for me? And immediately pray for people when they ask you to pray for their sickness, their illness, or their medical concern. I mean, it's one thing to say to a person, I will be praying for you. All of us have said, I'll be praying for you, and all of us have never prayed for them. All of us. So what I'm asking you to do and what I'm encouraging you to do is this. Go the extra mile and just say this. Can I pray for you right now? Can I pray for you right now? That's, that's going the extra mile, guys. You might think to yourself, well, I'm disqualified, Jeff. Like, I don't, I'm not qualified to pray for somebody. I mean, are you serious? Like, if someone said to me, I'm sick, I would be like, I know where to take you. I'll take you to Pastor Jeff, right? I'll take you to Pastor Dave or Pastor Wes, right? I know where to take you, but really, like, I'm disqualified. How can I ever be a person that would be somebody who could pray for the sick? And then you might turn around and quote back to me verse 4 of the passage that we read, where it said, call on an elder of the church and anoint them with oil. And you will go, see? I'm disqualified, Jeff. I'm not an elder of the church, and I don't carry anointing oil in my pocket all day long. So it can't be me. You can't be talking about me. Well, it is true that he said, call on an elder of the church. But I want you to watch this. Just follow me in this, in this thought process, all right? An elder of the church is simply a spiritual leader. Now, there's different titles for different spiritual leaders. One is a pastor, Another one would be a life group leader. But let me tell you some other titles, like a ministry team leader could be an elder, spiritual leadership being provided over others, guiding them and directing them in the course that they should go. Who else then becomes a spiritual leader? A mom or a dad in a home. You are the priest of your home, right? You are the spiritual leader. You are the elder, the spiritual elder of the home, mom and dad. Now watch this. You go, well, hold on. I don't even qualify for any of those. Well, what happens when a person, a believer, comes to you and they say to you, would you pray 
for me. I'm dealing with this sickness. I'm dealing with this illness. I'm uncertain of this diagnosis. Right? Would you pray for me? What are they, what are they doing right there? They're submitting themselves to you. They're, they're humbling themselves. They're, they're admitting there's something they need, and they're inviting you into the journey. They're giving you spiritual leadership at that moment. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Seize the moment. Step into that moment. Step into that moment and pray for them. Pray for them because, not because you have the authority and the power, but the one who lives in you does. Well, then you might go, well, but I don't carry any anointing oil. He says you got to call on the elders of the church and anoint them with oil. Look, I've been in some of these prayer lines where there was a little bit more than anointing of oil going on. Right? I had enough oil that I could have fried some items of food. And there was no healing that happened. And I'm not, I'm not, making, I'm not trying to mock that, and I'm not trying to belittle it. All I'm, all I'm wanting to do here is make sure that we did demystify the anointing oil. Can I demystify it for a moment? Is there anything wrong with anointing someone with oil and praying, praying for them? Absolutely not. Nothing wrong with that. Right? I've been a part of that. I've seen God, you know, work in those ways and miraculous ways, but I want to demystify the anointing oil. The anointing oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit. That is the truth. And so if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And here's what I, I see happening more often than not, is that when there is somebody who finds you in the lobby and they say to you, would you pray for me? Or at my life group, would you pray for me? Or they're at your house and you're having coffee, or you're out at the coffee shop, would you pray for me? I'm dealing with this sickness. Here's what I have seen more often than not, someone reaching across the table standing in an aisle someplace, grabbing their hands, putting a hand on their shoulder, and now a believer in Jesus who is full of the Holy Spirit is now touching another believer as if their anointing oil is being put on them and the Holy Spirit who is in you, but by the way, the anointing oil isn't what heals somebody, it is the Holy Spirit at work through you by faith that a healing actually happens, that we lay hands on one another and we pray in Jesus' name and incredible healings have happened. As an example, Acts chapter three, Peter and John. Peter and John are going to church and they're walking through one of the city gates. And as normal, the Bible says, a man who is crippled and a beggar is put by the gate and he is asking for money. And here comes Peter and John by. He goes, hey, hey, you guys have, you guys have any money for me? I, I, I can't do anything else. This is all I can do. I can't get a job. Like, do you have money? And Peter stops, the Bible says. And he looks at him and he tells the man, look at me. And they make eye contact. And he says to the man, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you in Jesus' name. Stand up and walk. Now, I want you to notice something that's in that, in that passage. I know I'm not taking you there, but you can go to Acts chapter 3 later and you can read it. it. It actually says this, that then Peter reaches down and he grabs the man. And as he touches the man and he starts to lift him up, that that's when his legs of the crippled man are healed. That there is this prayer in Jesus' name, Okay, and it wasn't even that the man asked for prayer, by the way. It, it was the faith of Peter praying in Jesus' name, and then he reaches down and he touches him, and the man stands up and he walks. 
I want you to notice the component that wasn't involved in that healing. What was missing? The oil. But what was active? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and faith. Those were the components that were active. So no, you're not disqualified because you don't carry the title of an elder. And no, you're not disqualified because you don't carry anointing oil in your pocket. You are qualified to pray for people. And my encouragement to you is go the extra mile and pray for people when they ask you, when they're in need of prayer, go, can I pray for you right now? I remember being down in Mexico um, one, one day with a group of teenagers and we were doing this missions trip and one evening, out on the soccer field, we, we were doing some drama, and we had gathered a large crowd, and at the end, we were praying for people, and we're praying for, you know, people that need healing. And this one little boy, he comes up, and he stands in front of me, and um, I just reach out. I don't even know what he needs prayer for, um, but I just reach out, and I grab him, right? I mean, his head's like right there. It's just right there. It was just natural. I just reach out and I put my hands like this on his head and I pray for him and I just say, in Jesus' name, heal him, right? In Jesus' name, whatever's going on, like touch this boy, take, deal, like, take care of whatever ailment it is that's, that's like dealing with this boy. And then all of a sudden, he looks up at me and he gets this like panicked look and there's no joke, he just bolts. And I'm thinking to myself like, did I say something that offended this boy? What have I done? What did I do wrong? I had no clue. I looked at the interpreter, and the interpreter had no, they, they, did, they didn't know. And so I just went on and prayed for another person. We get done. We're packing up all of our gear. We're loading it into the, into the van. And this dirt road around the corner comes this group of people, like a small mob of people that are coming down the dirt road. And I'm the youth pastor and we're in Juarez, Mexico, right? One of the murder capitals of the world. And I'm like, get in the van, get in the van. And the group comes down the, down the dirt road and it's a decent sized group, like you know, 12, 15 people. And uh, the interpreter kind of goes to see what the, what the issue is. And then she brings the whole group to us. And this little boy is with them. And these people are tearful and they're crying and they're just wanting to express their thankfulness because I don't even remember his name, but you know, little Johnny, man, that day he got healed. Like his, he, had, he wasn't able to hear and his ears opened up. And the reason why he was so freaked out is because he's hearing my voice for the first time. How cool is that? How cool is that? It was just a moment of, of prayer and believing that the Holy Spirit can move. And I want those moments for you, so I want you to lean into opportunities. When you're given the opportunity to pray for someone, I want you to take that opportunity, and I want you to reach out and grab hands with that person or put your hands on, on, their, on their shoulder. I don't suggest that you just, in American culture, reach out and grab someone's face, okay? I don't suggest that. I don't suggest that right? But grab a hold of them and pray in Jesus' name. Pray that prayer of faith because when you go back and you look in James 5, verse 15 drives home a powerful truth when he says these words that, look, you, 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 when you pray a prayer of faith, it's that kind of prayer that can bring about powerful healing. That's what James says. And if you've got your Bible, you can see it right there in verse 15. So that's the kind of prayer. 
Later on in our service, our campus pastors at all of our campuses are going to give you an opportunity um, that if you're sick or something medically is going on, it doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter if you think it's little or you think it's great, we're going to have an opportunity to actually pray for the sick right here at New Life Church today. And so that's going to happen later on in the service. But James goes on and he challenges us to go the extra mile and a few other things. All right, This one's not as easy. He says, look, go the extra mile and confess your sins to each other. How many of you guys would say that sounds intimidating, right? How many of you would say that's a bit humiliating? It feels a bit demoralizing. Are you serious? This is what believers are supposed to do? Like, God, what is this scheme you've got going on? Well, God tells you right there in Scripture in verse 16, God tells you what his intent is. It says this, that confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. But there is a healing that God, that's God's intent. That's his agenda. There's a healing that God wants to bring about. A healing spiritually, healing emotionally, a healing mentally. How, how, why, why? Why is there this desire for this healing to take place? Well, James, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, that when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? Death. God doesn't want you to die spiritually or emotionally or mentally. God wants you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. That's his intent. Sounds scary. I get it. But I also want you to know it's important to realize that when you confess your sins to another believer, that's not what brings forgiveness. There is still a need for repentance before God. So what, what are we supposed to do? We confess our sins to other believers. And when you're doing that, here's what's going on. You're actually inviting other believers into your spiritual journey. You're, you're, you're giving them the opportunity to go, good, I'm going to be praying with you. I'm going to keep this confidential between you and me. I'm going to go the extra mile with you. I'm going to help hold you accountable, right? They can even say things like, look, I'm going to help carry the load with you. When the load seems too great, when the temptation of this sin seems so great, you can call on me. I'm going to help you carry the load. I've climbed a number of mountains in my life, and I've just recognized that as you climb those mountains, sometimes some some men and women, they need some help from the other climbers to help carry some of that gear. And you transfer weight from one person's backpack to another person from time to time. Sometimes you need another human being to help you carry that load. So who in the world, if you were actually going to go the extra mile and say, God, I, there's some sin in my life that would be beneficial if I confessed it to someone else. Who, who should you confess to? Well, I would suggest, look, you look for a trusted person who's a spiritually-minded person, like a pastor, like a life group leader. Those would be safe people to go to, but, but all, by, by all means, please don't go to another friend that struggles with the exact same sin that you do. How is that person ever going to help you? They're not going to be able to help you walk out of that. You're both going to get trapped in the same thing that you're in. And by all means, don't go to somebody that you know is going to be easy on you. Don't go to somebody that's just going to, you know, pat you on the back, make you feel good, put a little Band-Aid on your life. You want to go to somebody that's actually got, you know, got some leadership. They got the ability to go, hey, look, I'm not going to beat you up for this right now. I'm going to love you right now. But I'm going to love you to a place of freedom. I think the big question we should be asking is if, we're, if James is challenging us to confess our sins one to another so that you might be healed, is this. What kind of person do you need to be so that someone would see you as being safe and trustworthy so that they would come and confess their sin to you? I think you should flip the question. I think you should be looking at it from that perspective. 
I think that you should be asking, what kind of person do I need to be? And you know what I love about God's word? In verse 16, he tells you exactly the kind of person you got to be. He goes, look, it's the prayer of a righteous person that's powerful and that does wonders. It's the prayer of a righteous person. What does righteous even mean? It means to be, basically it means to be, be right in God's eyes, to be holy and pure in God's eyes. And so look, right now I just gotta let you know, you can't do that on your own. But I know one who can. Philippians 1 verse 11 says this, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by who? Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory, not to you, but it will bring much glory and praise to God. You can't do it, but he can. Righteousness gets produced in us by Jesus. So when you pursue a relationship with Jesus, when you pursue a life that honors Jesus, you pursue a life that glorifies Jesus, then guess what's happening? Righteousness is then being produced in you. And a righteous person is a very attractive person when you're looking for someone to go, I'm going to confess my sins to you. Guys, I'm just going to tell you right now, some of you, you're locked in a sinful, like, downward spiral, and it has a lot to do with the fact that you're unwilling to get, you know, real about it and actually turn to someone that you can trust, a righteous person that has Christ-like character, Christ-like integrity, which also means that they're not a person that gossips. I'm just going to tell you right now, you'll never be someone that others will ever bring, bring you into their spiritual journey at the depth of confessing their sin to you so that you can help walk them out of that if you're a gossiper. If you're somebody who always is talking about other people, you'll never be someone someone will trust. So God's looking for righteous people, and man is looking for righteous people so that we can go the extra mile and actually find the healing that will come about when we get, we get bare-bone honest with each other about where our real journey is. Lastly, though, the final extra mile challenge from James, he asked us, will you be willing to rescue those who have wandered away? Our communities are full of people who used to engage with Jesus. They used to go to church, but they've wandered away. The, one of the great things that happened during COVID was there was a great falling away as well. There were people that, you know, we've just not seen back. And I'm not talking about just at New Life. I'm talking about churches all across the nation, people that have just not come back. There's been a great wandering, a, a falling away. And James is telling us to go the extra mile and basically start looking for them and have compassion on them. We're not to berate them, bring condemnation upon them. No, we're supposed to meet them right where, we're, right where they're at and love them in a way that would love them back into a relationship with God. You guys, you might be the Jesus that they're watching, so remain faithful in your journey before God because if you do that, then if you help someone who's wandered away come back into a relationship with Jesus, James says there's an incredible reward that you're going to experience and they're going to experience from the freedom that comes by coming back to Jesus. Remember what James 5, 19 and 20 said, those last couple of verses, last words of the entire book of James. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. 
So go the extra mile. Go the extra mile and participate with the Holy Spirit by helping to save someone from death. You're saving someone from utter death, separation from God forever. It's not easy, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Keep your eyes and your ears open. Let's not be Christians that cause others to wander away. Let's be followers of Jesus Christ that are actually helping people who have wandered away come back into relationship with God. Amen? One of the ways you can do that this week, this is the perfect week to do this. We got Easter coming up. You can invite someone who's wandered away to come back. Invite them to come. Hang out with us this Easter. I'm going to be focusing in my entire message on the central character of Easter, which is who? Jesus. And I'm gonna, my title is basically this. Jesus won the day. That's all Easter. And we're going to talk about that. So that you can win the day. You get to win the day because he won the day. You know, I want you to invite somebody to that. Guys, look, I'm going to wrap it up. I remember what it was like to be lost. I remember when I wandered away. I wandered away for a few years. And there were some pretty brutal years of my life. And I remember sitting around, you know, in this apartment, drinking with, uh, with my buddies on, on Friday night, Good Friday, right? And we're just, we're just getting hammered on Good Friday, and we're having our own little party. And we said to each other, somewhere in the midst of that conversation, I still remember it vividly to this day, someone says, hey, where, where are we going to go to church on Easter? Because if I don't go to church on Easter, my mom is going to be very upset at me. We're young adults, okay? We're in the military, my mom is going to be upset at me. It's amazing how that parental voice echoes in your heart even when you're not living in their house and when you're 50 years old still. Isn't it amazing? All right. But I remember, I remember us talking about that and then someone mentioning a church and we all said, yeah, we'll go. All of us. Right? And then right after that, we took a shot of something probably. And we said, we'll go. But when Easter morning came around, none of us went. See, what we were missing in our lives was we were missing somebody who would recognize that we had wandered away. And they would come along and they would journey with us. And they would invite us. And they would say, you know what, I want to help you. I'll even pick you up on Easter Sunday morning. If we would have had somebody like that, they may have had to be at that apartment door knocking and they may, have, they may have had to knock a couple of times, and they may have had to wait on us, right, to come down and be ready, but we would have made it that day. And I wondered to myself, maybe, maybe I would have been rescued out of my wandering earlier than I was. I was in need of someone like you. We're right now in our community, our community's in need of people just like you, Right, who will recognize you've wandered away. I'm not going to berate you and condemn you for that. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to be super practical. I'm going to help you find your way back. Would you do that this week for somebody? And would you please make sure that this Easter you don't attend church by yourself? So let's all go the extra mile this week. Let's look for ways that we can pray for the sick. Let's look for who maybe we could confide. We could confide in a righteous person. Let's be graceful and let's help people who have wandered away come back into relationship with Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, 
I want to first thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. I want to thank you that this book of James has been so practical for our lives. I want to thank you that you challenge us all the way through it. And even here at the end, you're going, hey, look, go the extra mile. Right? Don't just play the average. Don't play the safe. Step out. Experience me moving in your life and through your life. And Lord, I just pray that something about today's message would penetrate our hearts. It would activate our faith. It would allow us to take it to the next level. Lord, I, I, I surrender this service to you. I surrender uh, this preaching to you. And I ask that, Lord, you would use the foolishness of preaching to bring about revelation and truth through your word that would transform our lives and would cause us to be people that are different because your word penetrated us and it shaped us. Have your way and let your will be done here at New Life Church today. In Jesus' name, amen.